There are a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. I found this out early on in life. I remember I'd just gotten a, a CD player. Now, if you're under 20, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when I was growing up, we listened to music on these discs, and it's called a, a compact disc, CD for short, and you'd put it in. Before this, there was, there was tape. There was actually music that was pressed onto tape. Before that, there were eight tracks. I don't know anything about those. Uh, before that, there were records. And before that, there was the shower and drunk people singing in a bar. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's really what's gone on with music through the ages. Uh, but I, I came of age in the CD era. And so I got a, a CD player and, and was wearing out some of my favorite CDs. And one started to skip. And I went over to my friend Mike's house one night. And Mike's parents had a really nice stereo system. And I said, hey, Mike, does, does your dad, you got a really nice stereo, does your dad know anything about CD players because mine's starting to skip. And he said, no, he doesn't, but he'll act like he does. I said, okay, well, then I won't ask him about it. He said, no, you absolutely need to ask him about it. And as soon as he says discombobulator, you know he has no idea what he's talking about, but he'll act like he knows what he's talking about. And I said, all right. So I went over to Mike's dad, and I'm like, hey, you've got a really nice stereo system. I've got a CD player at, at the house, and I started to notice uh, it's starting to, starting to skip. Would you have any idea of what's going on? And he said, well, within the inner workings, there's a mechanism. And after about a minute of talking about the mechanism, he said, and there's a discombobulator in there. And my friend and I just made eye contact, and we just started trying not to laugh because he had no idea what he was talking about, just as my friend said. The dangerous thing isn't that people don't know what they're talking about when you know they don't know what they're talking about. The dangerous thing is when you think somebody knows what they're talking about who has no idea what they're talking about. So a number of years ago, my wife and I bought our first house together. About a year after owning the house, the air conditioning unit went bad, and we had to get a new air conditioning unit. And through bringing in a couple different contractors and, and getting them to price out the units, one of the contractors said, your unit is underneath a tree. So you're going to want to, after the unit's installed, to put a board over top of it. I said, oh, like in the winter. And he said, no, just year-round. Leave a board on top of it. And I said, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Uh, well, then uh, the contractors came in, they did the work, they, they put the air conditioning unit in. I went out and I got some plywood, cut a board, put the board on top of the air conditioning unit. About a week later, my neighbor came over and he said, hey, m my friend, he owned a heating and cooling company for a number of years and he was just over at the house and he said, you really need to take that board off your air conditioning unit. I'm like, really? I'm like, because you know, this contractor said that I should leave the board. I said, do what you want, but that's what my friend said. So I decided to call around. And as I did, what I discovered is there was one person in the world who thought it was a good idea to have plywood on top of the air conditioning unit while it was running. And that was the contractor who I had listened to because everybody else that I talked to said, absolutely not. You shouldn't have the board on top of the air conditioning unit while it's running. It's going to burn up the motor faster and you're going to have to replace your air conditioning unit more quickly. But I had no idea. I thought they knew what they were talking about. In life, that's the danger. When you think somebody knows what they're talking about. And today, we're going to analyze that danger. But what we're going to see today is something that's more dangerous than fake news. What we're going to see today are fake teachers and false teachers and people that bring about 
fake news in the spiritual realm and how this is the most damaging thing. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app this morning. It's a free resource that you can find in the app store of your choosing. And once you've installed the Bible app on your device, there's an events feature within the app and either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. There, Lakeside Community Church will pop up and you can follow along with us. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're going to be in the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, the New Testament book of 2 Peter chapter 2. And if you're joining us via the stream, the verses will be available on the screen below as we look at the danger of false teachers and we see this is nothing new. They existed in the Old Testament, they existed at the time of Jesus, and they exist today as well. 2 Peter chapter 2 is where we start this morning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among people. <clears throat> Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So right off the bat, what we see, right off the bat, what we see is there are people, there are people who proclaim the message of heaven there are people who point to heaven and lead people straight to hell. And this is going to get a very strong response from God. A response, quite frankly, some people aren't comfortable with. But why this matters so much is because of the stakes. And right off the bat, we see the stakes. That these are people who proclaim a message of hope, who proclaim a message of peace, and who ultimately deliver anything but hope, and ultimately deliver anything but peace. And this is nothing new. This was, this was existing in the Old Testament. This was existing in the time of the New Testament. This exists today as well. And we're not going to give you a list today of saying, hey, here's a false teacher, and here's a false teacher, and here's a false teacher. We're not going to name names. Well, we're going to do something even more beneficial for you than that. And what we're going to do is tell you, these are the hallmarks of their lives so that you have the tools to analyze these things for yourself. Because Scripture tells us to test everything to test everything. So anytime you hear a message about God or anytime you see someone give a message about God, it is, it is your responsibility to test that message in light of Scripture and look at the fruit of the person delivering that message. Look at the fruit of their life. We are given right off the bat here what the hallmarks are of the lives of false teachers. And this is what we are told. First and foremost, they deny the message of Jesus. They deny the message of Jesus. The gospel message is this, that God loves us. God loves us. God created us. God gets to make the rules as a result of the fact that he created us. When you create something, you get to make the rules of how it should operate. God made those rules, and he had a standard, and that standard was perfection. And every single one of us has rebelled against God. Every single one of us has fallen short of that standard. None of us has measured up to the perfection, which is the standard and the requirement of God. We all fall short of 
that measurement. But even though we fall short of that measurement, God still loves us. In fact, before he even created us, he knew that we would fall short of that measure. We saw that earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, that even before God created anything, he already had the plan of redemption in mind. He knew that we would fall short, but God still loves us even in the midst of our rebellion, so much so that he sent his son Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Full humanity and full divinity, all wrapped up into one, the God-man, Jesus Christ, that he came and he paid the price for our sins. He was that standard of perfection. He was the measurement that we can't reach. And he paid the price. He paid the cost for our sins by dying on the cross. Three days later, he rose again, proving that the cost of our sin and the cost of our imperfection had been paid in full. And our hope is found exclusively through our faith and trust Through when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. He is the only path to salvation. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus is our only hope. He's it. Jesus is the only hope we have. And that's the message. And anything or anyone who gives you any message other than that denies the work of Jesus. And this is ultimately the first hallmark of a false teacher, that they deny the work, they deny what Jesus has done, they deny who Jesus is, they deny the hope that Jesus brings about, they deny Jesus. The next hallmark in their life is sensuality. Is sensuality. They leverage their position, they leverage their relationships to fulfill their own lust. Sensuality. The next hallmark is greed. They do this for their own gain. They do this to enrich themselves. This becomes a a money-making scheme for, for them. It's all about personal wealth. It's all about personal enrichment. Greed is the next hallmark. The next is exploitation. They use other people for their for their own gain. They use other people, not just for financial gain, but they exploit other people. And other people become a means to an end. And the last hallmark for them are lies. They are full of lies. These are the hallmarks of false teachers. They deny Jesus. They fulfill their own lust and sensuality. They try to build their own personal empire and enrich themselves. They're greedy. They exploit other people for their own personal gain, and they lie. And this is the test. This is the test of both the message of teachers and also the fruit of their lives. This is the the test of the message of teachers, but also the fruit of their lives. And then we go on, and now we understand why God has such a strong reaction to people who fall in this camp. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So let's just stop right there and recognize that the humanity are not the only, is not the only thing that has rebelled against God. But that angels also rebelled against God. Angels who were in the presence of God rebelled against him. The chief rebel was Lucifer, who was the worship leader of heaven, most likely. And he was saying, you know, it's, it's nice to sing songs about God, but it's even better to sing songs about myself. And it's not just Lucifer who fell. We don't have time to look there this morning, but Revelation 12.4 tells us that a third of the angels 
One third of the angels decided, we don't want to follow God's plan. We want to do our own thing. We want to rebel against God. One third of the angels followed Lucifer and rebelled against God. And the response of God here is that, that he kicks them out of heaven. So now angels that are kicked out of heaven are demons. Demons. And there are some demons, not all demons, but there are some demons who are so egregious in their conduct, and we don't have time to look there this morning, but you can see you can see what happened in Genesis 6, verses 1 to 4. And we talked about this last fall. If you want to visit the archives, you can at lakeside-church.com slash media. But there are some demons who act so egregiously that God took them and he put them in prison until the final judgment. He just said, you are no longer able to operate because what you have done is so egregious. And he put them in prison where they wait until the final judgment. That they are chained until judgment. So if God did not spare the angels, and then he goes on, it's not just the angelic realm. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So now we rewind back to Noah. We've already seen what God did with the angels that rebelled against him. And now we go to the time of Noah. And there are eight people, exactly eight people, who want to honor God. Eight people who want to follow after God in the world. Noah and his family. Everyone else is not interested in following after God. And so God sends a flood. God says, we're going to start all over, and he sends a flood. And then we go on. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And we can see this event in Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 19, Lot is hosting a couple angels. There are a couple angels who are traveling with Lot and Lot says, you need to come to my house. The angels go to his house, and all of the people of the city, all the people of the city show up to Lot's house to sexually assault the angels. And Lot barricades them in his house. And we're not talking one or two. We're talking the world is so depraved that everyone in the city shows up to sexually assault these angels. And as Lot has them barricaded in his home, he offers up his daughters. God says, no. Enough of this. He rains out his judgment on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I just want to pause because if we look at the statistics, a number of us, statistically, have had to deal with being sexually assaulted in our lifetime. And if that's true of you, I want to encourage you in the strongest terms possible. If you've not processed what has transpired, if you've been victimized and you've buried it deep below and you've never felt safe to, to tell a friend 
to seek out a therapist or a counselor, to talk to a therapist or a counselor, to seek out a pastor and to tell a pastor what, what has happened and to process through that. If you've buried that down, maybe even kept it from a spouse and held it in, I want to encourage you in the strongest possible terms to know that we have help available for you. This is a safe place, and we love you, and we want to walk through the journey of healing with you that it is not your fault. But if you've buried this down, and you've never processed through it, and you've never worked your way toward healing, I cannot encourage you enough. It's going to hurt. It is not going to be an easy process. But it's necessary. That what happened to you is outside of God's design. What happened to you is not okay. And you do not need to carry that burden alone. That there is hope and there is healing. But it's going to be a painful process to arrive there. And I just want to give you an invitation. I'm not saying it has to be here, but I want to give you an invitation. If, if you have encountered that in your life, if you have been a victim, if you need somebody to process through that with you, we are here. If you don't want to do it here, but you want us to point you to the direction of somebody else, we can point you to the direction of somebody else. And I just got to tell you, as with everything that, that you share with us, it's confidential. We will take it to the grave. But if that has happened to you in your life, you do not have to walk through life alone. You do not have to bury that. There is hope and there is healing. It will not be an easy process, but if you need people to walk alongside you in that journey to hope and in that journey to healing, we are here. Statistics show us that this happens to a number of individuals. It's not just a female problem. It's not just a male problem. It happens to, to people all across the spectrum. And if you've been victimized, if you've been abused, there is hope and there can be healing. But you don't have to walk through that journey alone. And if we can help you, we're here. Now, this is a side of God that, frankly, many are uncomfortable with. And when we are the people who rebel against God, and we are the people who deserve the punishment, we sing grace and mercy the loudest. We scream grace and mercy all the more. But when we, when we have been victimized, when we have been the people who've been wronged, then it helps us understand a little bit more how a loving and merciful and gracious God can also be a God of wrath and vengeance and justice. When I was growing up, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. And 
the Cle- they were the Indians at the time. The Cleveland Indians were an amazing baseball team. They never quite won a World Series. They went to a couple, but they were just an amazing baseball team. It, baseball was on fire in Cleveland. It was impossible to get tickets. They, they sold out before the season even started. It was just remarkable. So it was a big deal anytime you got to go to an Indians game, especially when you were in middle school like I was at the time. The team was just phenomenal. Well, one night, my friend's family went to a game. The Indians dugout was along the third base side, and so a number of people would congregate over on the third base side with, with balls and cards and hats and jerseys and everything, trying to get Indians players to autograph what they had. And my friend and his brother went down, and they were going down to try to get autographs. He was about 13 at the time. And an adult came over and forcefully pushed him out of the way and said, get out of here, and pushed him over. He pushed him down. So he got up, and he he took, he had a baseball with him. He took his baseball, and he and his brother went back to the section that his family was seated in. And his dad asked him, hey, who who signed your ball? Because there were some players out who were signing. And he said, no one. A guy over there pushed us down. The game got started, and they were watching the action. My friend's dad had binoculars, and he was, he was watching the game and was looking over. And all of a sudden, he got up and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go hit the, the snack stand. He put his binoculars down and went out to go to the snack stand. So my friend picked up the binoculars and was watching the game a little bit and then went over and he found his dad and was watching his dad walk along and he passed the snack stand. He thought, huh, that's interesting. And then he passed another snack stand. It's weird. And then he watched as he waited right outside of the bathroom. What's he doing? And then he saw the guy who pushed him over come out of the bathroom. My friend's dad walked over to him, grabbed him by the shirt, slammed him against the wall, picked him up, took his forearm, pinned it against the guy's neck, and had a conversation with him. Because what my friend didn't know at the time was that through the binoculars, his dad had seen the whole interaction. His dad had seen an adult man push over his 13-year-old son and tell him to get out of there. Now, if you don't know the story, and you're just a stranger walking through, and you see a man look unhinged as he has another man lifted off the ground, pinning his neck against the wall, you're thinking, that guy's got a problem. When you see the full scope of the story, It gives you the perspective of why my friend's dad reacted in the way that he did. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise 
authority. God's wrath is ultimately part of our rescue. And we may not fully like it, we may not be able to fully wrap our minds around it, but God's wrath is actually part of our rescue. That God is not missing what goes on. God is not missing the fact that we have been wronged. That God sees it all. And notice Lot, he never condoned the conduct of the wicked. He, He witnessed it. But he also didn't run and hide. He didn't move out of town. He continued to honor God with his life in a society that had no desire to do the same. But their lot was he remained faithful. He didn't just give in because everybody else in society was doing something different. But he was true and God saw that he was true and who God called him to be. And God ultimately honored him for the choices that he made. This is why it is absolutely essential for those of us who follow Jesus Jesus, that we must learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. That we must learn how to disagree without being disagreeable as our culture more and more rejects the hope and the peace that is exclusively found in Jesus. That we must be people who, who live our lives with that hope and with that sense of peace. And we must disagree without being disagreeable. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Bold and willful, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, and that is some in our society today. They want to be the loudest detractors about the hope and peace that Jesus offers. They are eager to tell everyone how foolish they are if they follow after God. Bold and willful. And what are we told? That destruction, destruction is their destiny. But I want to, I want to point this out. If angels... If angels don't worry about the message that they hear and the message that is lobbed against them, if angels don't worry about that, then why should we? Listen, God doesn't need you to be his defender. God doesn't need you to be his defender. Now, I'm not talking about not being able to back up your faith. I'm not talking about having an ignorant faith. But God doesn't need you to be his defender. Instead, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Be ready to give an account for what Jesus has done. But for those who are just bold and willful and opposed to faith in Jesus, it's not your job to try to argue them into heaven. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. Know this, they will get what's coming to them. They will get what's coming to them. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. 
but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. We don't have time to look at it today, but Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22 tells the story of a prophet named Balaam who used his office, used his opportunity for personal gain. God gave him a gift and he used it to enrich himself. And here again, we see what do false teachers do? They deny the message of Jesus. They fulfill their own lusts. They are people who are full of greed. They go after things for their own gain, and they are liars. We see their behaviors here again. These are the hallmarks of false teachers. These are the merits of their message and also their lives. This is who they are. And why is this so dangerous? Well, here's the reason why. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. These false teachers promise relief. They promise hope. They promise joy. They promise peace. They promise love. And they deliver none of it. And the reason God is so passionate about this is because of what God ultimately does promise and will ultimately fulfill. And the message of those who are not legitimate is that they have a path to promise. They have a path to peace. They have a path to fulfillment. They have a path to joy. And it is empty. And it's never fulfilling. They use and seduce others all for themselves. And no good is found to those that they use and abuse. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Listen, their faith is all a show. And for a while, when you look at their lives, it looks like, hey, they're legitimately followers of Jesus. But the proof is in the timing. And if you watch their lives, if you look at the fruit of their lives, you will see there is no consistency because there is no legitimacy to their faith. That their faith is all a marketing tool. It is not authentic and it is not real. And if you look at their lives over the test of time, you see it. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Look, it would have been better for them never to have been born, to have never heard the hope of Jesus to have never been exposed to the authentic hope that is found exclusively in Jesus. It would have been better for them to never have heard it and never have heard of the promise of freedom than for them to have a fake encounter with Jesus and an inauthentic faith and instead choose to return 
in the same way that a dog returns to its own vomit and a pig returns back to the mud. To return to a life that is without hope, without peace, and without joy. A life that is spent without Jesus. These are the hallmarks of false teachers. And we recognize they're out there. And some of you come from a place of hurt because you've encountered them. Some of you come from a place of hurt either because there was a false teacher in place or, or maybe there wasn't even a false teacher in place, but you come from, from a, a, a church background where, where there's some church hurt because you saw some of these things on display. You saw people taken advantage of. You saw bitterness. You saw anger. You saw rage. You saw all the things that, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be in the church. And that's why our hope at Lakeside and our goal at Lakeside, as we fulfill our mission of moving people one step closer to Jesus and reaching those far from Him, that's why I always tell you, I always tell you, do not follow me. Follow Jesus. It is not about me. It is about following Jesus. Because I am human, and I will disappoint you. And I have an obligation to live up to the requirements that 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 set out for me to live up to, and all those in church leadership. And it is my goal every day that I wake up to fulfill those things and to live lives that are true, to live my life that is true of those things. But there will be some time that I fail you. And, and hopefully not in some monumental way, but there will be a time that I disappoint you, that I can't do something that you want me to do or something along those lines. It's why I tell you, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Jesus will never disappoint you. I will. I don't want to. But I will. And this is why our goal at Lakeside is that Everything is built around Jesus, not a personality, that we are followers of Him. And if you've experienced church hurt, either because it was a false teacher, or either because there were other things that were going on that God never designed to be part of His church, but crept their way in, and you encountered them, and you are hurting, I want you to know that our goal is that Lakeside is a place that you can come and you can heal. It's a place that you can find your footing in a place that you can rediscover your love for Jesus or rediscover your love for the church and rediscover your love for serving with the gifts and the talents that God's given you. That's our passion and that's our heartbeat. And if you're here and you're struggling with church hurt, I just want to encourage you, it's all right for you just to come and heal for a while. There comes a point where the healing has taken place and the next step of the process is to get up and to be active once again in serving and using the gifts that God's given you. So I want to encourage you, there's room for you to do that here too. The church that we want to be is the church that points people to Jesus. That's why we do our best to vet everybody that would stand on this platform and give a message, do everybody especially that serves, especially in a teaching capacity. We do our best to make sure that the message of hope it's true and it's real. And it's not a, 
by people using their platform for their own personal gain. We're all pointing people to Jesus. Because He is what we're ultimately all about. And that is the church and those are the people that we must be. God, I pray. I pray that you would have Lakeside always be a place. Always be a place that points people closer to you. I pray that you would protect Lakeside from people that would come in, that would try to leverage this for their own personal gain. That this would never be a place, God, that denies who you are and the hope that is exclusively found through you. That you would protect our integrity and how we live our lives. That this would never be about us trying to build our own platform, further our own personality. But God, that you are the central focus in everything that is conducted here and everything that goes on. I pray for those who are hurting. For those coming out of a a church hurt environment, they're wounded. And I pray that you would help them heal. I pray that we would be part of the process of helping them heal. I pray for those, God, been victimized. Pray especially for those who have suffered sexual assault. And I pray, God, that healing, authentic healing would transpire in their lives. That there would be safe people that they could talk to, whether that's a pastor from Lakeside, a counselor, their spouse, friend that it wouldn't be pushed down it wouldn't be bottled up that healing could take place God thank you for your love for us may we be a place that helps those who are hurting helps those who are healing is full of people that serve you and one another with excitement and enthusiasm. That is our prayer, Jesus. In your name we pray.